way through this series on going the distance. Going the distance. The last several weeks, uh, Pastor Gary has been helping us understand what it means to go the distance with God. And he has given us some very practical concepts about going the distance with God on these steps that we take on this journey. He started by laying a foundation, an understanding of the importance of that going the distance with God, that life is not all there is for us. This, this life that we have right now, this isn't it. This is just a small portion of our existence. Someday we will spend eternity, if we know him, we will spend eternity with him in heaven. I'm looking forward to that. You see, we are spirit beings first. Maybe you didn't realize that. We are spirit beings first, and these bodies that we inhabit, these are just temporary things. They're not going to last forever. And so we are spirit beings first, and our spirits, they will last forever, one place or the other. There's two places. You've probably heard this before. There's only two places that our spirits will last. They will either last for eternity in heaven with God, or they will last for eternity in hell away from God. And that's why this idea of going the distance with God is so important. Because again, it's not just this life here on this earth, is it? So then he talked about the Word, God's Word, the Bible. What do we need to do with this Bible that we've been given? He shared with us how important it is to read the Bible. It helps us to grow in our relationship with Christ. And that we need to allow God's word to speak to us, to challenge us, maybe even to correct us at times. It is far better for God's word to correct us than it is for other things or other people to correct us. Wouldn't you agree? He then encouraged us to read the Bible at least four times a week to help us develop that habit of reading God's word if we didn't already have that habit. And then pastor talked about prayer the importance of prayer. And what is, it, what is it? it? To put it simply, it's communicating with God. When we pray, we are communicating with God. We are sharing with Him our needs, our requests, or we're talking to Him about other people and maybe needs in their lives, and maybe they need encouragement or healing or some kind of provision. At the same time, though, if we are listening, we will actually hear Him speak to us as well. And that's, a, that's encouraging to me. Next, in fact, just last week, he talked about being thankful, thanksgiving, having a heart of gratitude instead of, instead of being a grumbler. I believe someone came with the pastor uh, after the message last week and basically said, you know, a person cannot speak thanksgiving and grumbling at the same time. That's true. You know, we, we can maybe try to do that, but it doesn't really work, does it? We, it it kind of comes through which one we're really doing, and I'm guessing the grumbling is going to come through more than the thanksgiving, unfortunately. But we need to be people that are thankful. We need to be people that are grateful for what God has done for us. So what happens if we start doing these things? What happens if we start reading the Bible more than maybe we did before? Maybe we start praying more than we've done before and and we develop this, this thankful heart, you know, again, more than we've done before. What happens if we've done all these things And then something happens. Something stops. We we stop. We we stop reading the Bible. We we stop praying like we should. We we stop being thankful 
like we should? What happens then? What happens when we falter? What happens when we falter? I mean, we give them a good effort, and we're able to do them for a time again, but, but something happens. Things just get busy in our lives, maybe. Things happen that distract us from what we should really be doing. They distract us from our goals of reading the Bible more and praying more and being more thankful. Life happens, doesn't it? Life happens. So what do we do then? What happens if we falter to the point that we, fail, that we fall flat on our face? What do we do? What happens if we fall because we sin? It isn't just a matter of, of not doing things to help us go the distance with God. Sometimes it's actually giving in to things like sin that prevent us from going the distance with God. What happens when we falter? What happens if we grow cold inside? We can even become embittered, can't we, when we falter, when we fail. There are times when each and every one of us, are, are, we're going to fail. Let's just be honest. We're, we're going to falter at times, aren't we? We're human beings. There will be times when we fail to live our lives as God would want us to live them. During those times, it might seem really easy to just give up. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. There's too many expectations. I just can't do it. It's just too heavy on me. It's too much of a weight on me. I can't do it anymore. But I want to tell you this morning, that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do, though, isn't it? He wants us to stop. He wants us to give up. He wants us to just uh, stop everything. Don't read the Bible because that will convict me and then I'll feel even worse about myself. Well, then I can't pray because then God's going to convict me there so I can't do that either. Well, I can't really have a heart of thanksgiving when I'm feeling convicted now, can I? See how it kind of happens? We must not allow our times of failure to keep us down and out, to, to keep us away from God's presence, because that's what happens. When we read the Bible, when we pray, when we are grateful, we are in God's presence. Even though that is probably the last place we want to be when we falter, when we fail. Because sometimes when we do those things, when we falter, when we fail, we can feel ashamed, can't we? We feel shame. We feel conviction. We feel condemned even. We can feel forsaken when we falter. But we need to understand that it is not God who has forsaken us. It is we who have forsaken him. It is not God who has stopped speaking to us. It is we who have stopped listening or speaking to him. It's on us. It's not on him. We stop listening for his voice to hear the plan that he has for our lives when we falter. There are many examples in Scripture of people who started well with God, who maybe sinned or strayed away from his path, but then they were able to come back 
They were able to come back into a right relationship with God. And I, I want to share one of those stories with you today, one of those true stories. The Bible doesn't just share the good points about people in it, does it? It's one of the things that really separates the Bible, God's Word, from other religious books. It shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. Doesn't it? Aren't you glad for that? I know I am. Because maybe I can learn from their mistakes before I commit those mistakes. Or I can learn how they came back to God when they came back to God. I can understand, oh, yeah, there's not much difference really between me and them, is there? One of those real persons from history is the Apostle Peter. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples or apostles, whatever you want to call them, and, and he was handpicked by Jesus to follow him for about three years. And he, was, he wasn't just one of the 12, he was also one of the three that were the closest to Jesus, his inner circle, if you will. And, and, but understand this, Peter, he was just an ordinary man. He was an ordinary person. He was a fisherman. Now, I have nothing against fishermen, all right? But in that culture and in that day, they, they weren't really looked well upon. They just weren't. In fact, for a rabbi, that's what Jesus was. When, when a rabbi would go to look for people to, you know, kind of follow him, or maybe they followed, or maybe they went to find him, I forget now. But it wouldn't have been, the, rab, the rabbi wouldn't have gone to a fisherman to look for them to follow him, really. Because they weren't learned people. That wasn't natural. That's not what should have happened. Jesus should have gone to the religious people, right? Why, you guys are laughing. Why are you laughing? Because you know the end of the story. But Jesus went to normal, everyday people like you and me to be his followers. He wasn't looking for the super spiritual. He was looking for people who were moldable, people who were willing to follow him. And so he was just an ordinary man. And, and again, fishermen at that time, they just were not held in very high esteem. And if you know anything about Peter, you know that he wasn't known as the most patient person, was he? Peter tended to kind of speak before he thought. And yet God still revealed things to him that he didn't reveal to other people at times. Peter was also a great man of faith at times. Quite honestly, he was a lot like you and me. Peter is someone that you and I can relate to, I think, in a lot of ways. I mentioned that he was a great man of faith, at times, because it was. He, he wasn't a great man of faith all the time, but at times he was, I believe. A perfect example is found in Matthew chapter 14. If you, if you want to turn there, you can certainly do so. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start this little story of Peter. Jesus has told the disciples to take a boat, to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, while he goes up into the hills to pray. Now, while the disciples were crossing over the lake, a storm comes up, and it kind of 
they become fearful that there's a lot of strong winds, the waves are blowing. I mean, it's, it's pretty scary for them. And they are struggling. They are really struggling to get across the lake. So now if you look at Matthew chapter 14, start with verse 25. It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now let this stop right there. How many of you would have said those same, those same words? <laughs> Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come and walk on the water towards you. I, I'm, I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have even thought of doing something like that. And yet here's Peter. If it's really you, Jesus, you tell me to come to you on the water. Continues on. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I would have said those same words to Peter. I'm not trying to contradict Jesus, all right? I just don't know that I would have said those same words to Peter. Why did you doubt me? You of little faith, why did you doubt me? Maybe at the end, you know, when he's sinking in the water, maybe then, but why does he say it after the fact? I mean, to me, Peter is showing tremendous faith. Don't you? I, I, can you see that? Tremendous faith to, to even ask to walk on the water. I mean, again, he walked on water. He walked on water. Are you getting that in your head yet? He walked on water. He was the second human to ever do that besides Jesus. And to my knowledge, nobody else has ever done that since. Two people in all of history who have walked on water. To me, that is a sign of great faith. I don't see or hear any other disciples doing it. Hey, let me come with you, Peter. Hey, Jesus, why don't you call me out too? I don't hear them saying anything. But I can kind of imagine what some of the disciples might have been thinking 
at this time. Imagine with me, if you will. Peter says, hey, Jesus, can I come out and walk in the water with you? And they're like, oh, man, here goes Peter again. Here he goes again. Acting before he thinks. Does he really think he's going to walk on the water? He is not the son of God. He's just a man. Come on, Peter. Oh, I, I know what's going to happen. He's going to walk. Uh, no, he's not going to walk. He's just going to fall into the water. He's going to die. And we're going to have to have elections to fill his spot. Thanks a lot, Peter. You're, you're just creating a lot of problems for us. I can just kind of see that for some reason. But that's not what happened, is it? I really wish we had more details about this. I mean, can you just see their faces then when he actually does stand on the water? Uh, uh, I mean, their mouths open. I mean, they're just gaping like, uh, what just happened here? He's not the son of God. He's just a man. How is he able to do this? He's just a man. I would like to know some other details, wouldn't you? Like, okay, so how far did Peter actually walk? I mean, did he, did he see like two or three steps and then, then realize what was going on? Or did he take maybe go 10 feet or was it 20 feet? I mean, how far did he actually walk on the water? Or how far away was Jesus when this was happening? Was he, was he 20 feet, 20 yards, 50 yards? I mean, they're close enough to hear. Of course, things can you know, travel across the water. Voices travel across the water pretty good. But how far was he away from Jesus when he actually stepped out of the boat? And then it says immediately Jesus was what? He was right there to pick him up. So it's, did, he, did Jesus just like transport <laughs> instantly to where Peter was when this happened? Or was he right next to Peter when Peter, Peter's faith started to fail, started to falter? I mean, these are the questions that go through my mind. And I wish we had more information. But one thing I don't understand is why Jesus said what he did. Why did he say, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Why did he say that? I mean, this could have been a great opportunity for Jesus to encourage Peter, right? Man, Peter, you, you showed a lot of faith to even ask me to have you come out onto the water with me. You disciples, you, you see what he did here? Do you see the, the great faith that Peter had that you guys obviously didn't have? <laughs> I mean, he could have maybe encouraged the other disciples at the same time, saying, you could have had the same opportunity as Peter with just a little more faith. But he doesn't do that either. Jesus doesn't encourage Peter or the other disciples, but, but neither does he really reprimand Peter. I don't see this as a reprimand. I just simply see it as, oh, man, why don't you have more faith? Why, why do you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? And, and that's the last we're told. That's the, la that's the end of the story. We don't know what happens after that. I want to know more. 
There is so much that is left out of this, so much that I would love to know, but apparently we're, we're not supposed to know. I guess another, another one of those things, we'll just have to, have to ask them when we get there. When we get to heaven, we'll just have to ask them, hey, what really happened when Peter walked on the water? But I want you to not lose sight of something that's very important here. I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that, that Peter is an ordinary man. Like you and me, he had great faith until something else happened. He had great faith until he started focusing on something else instead of focusing on Jesus. In his case, it was a storm, the wind and the waves. He started focusing more on those things than he was focusing on Jesus. How many times have you and I had great faith, even in the midst of a storm? Because he had it in the midst. Don't lose sight of that either. He had it in the midst for a time. But how many times have you and I had great faith in the midst of a storm, only to have our faith decrease when we started to focus on the storm, instead of focusing on Jesus. How many times has that happened to us? There was another time that Peter must have spoken before uh, engaging his brain again. I wonder sometimes if Peter had ADHD. I really do. I mean, his impulsiveness, his, his speaking without thinking, I mean, just, I don't know. There's just something there. Anyway, Peter opens his mouth and inserts his foot again. But this time, he probably stuck both feet in his mouth. The sad thing is, Peter really thought he was doing or saying something that was noble, something that was right. But it wasn't either of those things. Peter tries to correct Jesus, the Son of God. In Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 8, we're told that Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he, Jesus, the Son of God, was going to suffer and die. That he was going to be rejected by the religious leaders, but that three days later, something miraculous was going to happen. He was going to rise from the dead. And as Jesus is prophesying what was going to happen to him, Peter takes Jesus aside and says, hey, wait a minute, Peter, or wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. Peter starts to reprimand Jesus for speaking the truth. Think about that. At this point, Jesus turns towards Peter and reprimands him. In Mark 8, verse 33, it says, Get away from me, Satan. Oh, hold, hold on. I thought it was Peter. Why is he saying Satan? Let me try to explain. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Wow.
He's basically saying there's something besides you that's speaking here. There's something that is influencing you. Whether or not it was actually Satan or not, it probably was, it's wrong. And he was allowing it to cloud his thinking so that he was having a more human perspective than a spiritual perspective. As he said, you were seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. Now, Peter, he'd had some pretty, pretty good moments up until now. And then he's had some really bad moments. I would categorize this as one of those really bad moments, wouldn't you? When you're reprimanding the Son of God, when you're telling Jesus that he's wrong, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And then he calls you Satan, basically. That's not a good day in my book. I mean, who tells the Son of God that he is wrong, that he is mistaken? Peter does. Peter does. But we have to be honest with ourselves too, don't we? Haven't we done that on occasion? Now be honest. Haven't you and I done that same thing? I mean, different situation, I'm sure. But haven't we done the same thing? Haven't we done on occasion, or haven't we questioned on occasion God's plan for our lives? Haven't we questioned why something happened to us or why something didn't happen to us? Haven't we questioned God? Aren't we a little like Peter on those occasions? I think we are. There was another not-so-good moment in Peter's life that I want to look at. Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus and the 12 disciples had just finished what we call today the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever you want to call it. They've, they've, they've just concluded this. It's the last time that they're going to eat a meal together before Christ is crucified. Jesus has told them that one of them would betray them. Afterward, after everything is done, they're, they're, they're leaving. Jesus and the remaining disciples, because, of course, Judas is now gone. He has left. Jesus said, go and do what you have to do, basically. Judas is gone to go and betray Jesus. So it's just Jesus and the other 11 that are left. And they're making their way to the Mount of Olives where Jesus is going to pray before he's betrayed. On the way, Jesus informs, I mean, he really prophesies to them, telling them that they, all of them, all 11 of them, are going to leave him. They're going to desert him. And guess who can't keep their mouth shut again? Yep, good old Peter. Peter opens his big mouth once more, speaking what he thinks, and he corrects, or at least tries to correct Jesus again. Matthew 26, verse 31. Start with verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, and I, I can kind of see, I, I think I can see Jesus in this moment. I, t- I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you even know me. I think I can see him even saying it in that tone of voice. Because he's not, he's not mad at Peter. He's not angry. He's sad. Because he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. I can't imagine him being anything else but sad at this moment. But coming back to Peter, he just can't seem to learn from his mistakes just like you and me. Just like you and me. How many times? How many times have we done the same things over and over and over again? That we know this, we know it's wrong. But we do them anyway. We falter, we fail, we sin. Just like Peter. You would think that by now, I mean, it's nearly three years or approximately three years that Peter's been walking with Jesus. You would think by now that he would understand that he needs to keep his mouth shut and his ears open and simply believe what Jesus is saying. Even if he doesn't understand. Did you catch that? Believe what Jesus says, even when he doesn't understand. Because there's going to be moments in our lives when you and I will not understand what's, what's happening. We won't. But the question remains, will we be faithful? Will we, will we believe Jesus? Will we believe him? Jesus has proven himself to us over and over and over again, and yet we don't seem to learn our lessons either. We don't seem to maintain or grow our faith in him at times. Most, if not all of us, know the rest of the story. We know that Judas comes to the garden, betrays Jesus. What does Peter do? Cuts off a guy's ear. What does Jesus do? He heals the guy's ear. They take him away. Peter runs away. Jesus is alone. But Peter follows behind, follows them to where they're going to put Jesus on trial. And he's there, watching, listening. As he's there watching, Peter is asked on three different occasions if he knows Jesus. And all three times, what does he do? Nope. Don't know the guy. But I think he said a little more forcefully than that. I don't know him. Leave me alone. 
I am not one of his followers. Three different times. And then what happens? The rooster crows. The rooster crows and Peter's face goes black, blank. Because he realizes what he has just done. He realizes what has just happened. That Jesus said this was going to happen and I didn't believe him. Three times. I, I, I have to imagine that when this happened, that he's crushed. He's crushed. He's, he's full of that shame. I can't even imagine really what, what is going through his mind when that rooster crows, when he hears that, that noise. Again, probably some shame. He probably felt lonely. I mean, there's nobody else there with him. All the other disciples are gone. He's there alone. Except for the fact that Jesus looks right at him. Doesn't he? Jesus looks right at him. And Peter sees his face. He probably felt like a loser the worst person on the planet Earth at that moment. How could he do this? He swore that he would not do this to Jesus. But he gave in to something, fear. He falters. He probably felt like you and I feel when we fail. He probably felt like you and I feel when we falter at times. When we sin, when we give in to things, when we allow things to cloud our judgment. Don't raise your hands, but haven't you felt those, those things at times? The shame, the loneliness, the lostness. Feeling the lowest of the low. Feeling like a loser. I'm going to say something you probably, probably wouldn't even think I would say, but you know what? We need to feel those things for a time. We need to feel those things for a time. But only for a time. We must not remain in those negative feelings, the shame, the anger, the bitterness, the loneliness, the lostness. We cannot remain in those things. Thankfully, we don't have to remain in those negative mindsets. We don't have to continually feel like we have failed God over and over and over again, just like Peter. We don't have to allow the enemy to keep us down and out of the fight. Because if we give in to those things, if we continue to feel the shame, the loneliness, all those negative feelings, if we continue to feel those things, that's what's going to happen. We're taken out of the fight. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. It's probably what Satan hoped would happen to Peter. 
But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, is it? Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead three days later, just like he said. He appeared to the disciples in a locked room on more than one occasion, ate with them, did other things with them. And then we have the story found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. If you want to turn there, you can. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. We have another Peter story. Jesus appears to seven of the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, one of whom, again, was Peter. Peter and the other disciples, they're fishing all night. Of course, if you know the story, you realize they have not caught anything. They're probably a little frustrated. It's like, man, we can't, we can't follow Jesus right. We can't even fish right anymore. What do we do now? Jesus comes to them in the morning, but they didn't, really, they didn't realize it was him. They didn't know it was him on the shore. They just think of some guy yelling out to them, hey, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no, 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 we haven't all night. Jesus tells them, put the net on the, on the right side of the boat this time. And they're like, who is this guy? All right, yeah, well, it was, maybe he'll, if we do it, maybe he'll go away and leave us alone. So they do it. They put the net on the right side of the boat. And what happens? Biggest catch ever. More fish than they can handle. And John declares that, hey, that, that's got to be Jesus on the shore. And guess who was impulsive once more? Peter. Peter literally jumps into the water and swims to shore. He leaves the rest of the guys behind to deal with the fish. He jumps in the water, swims to shore to be with Jesus. They all eat some fish for breakfast. After breakfast, Jesus and Peter have a conversation. To our knowledge, this is the first one-on-one -on -one conversation that they've had since Peter denied him. I'm going to kind of paraphrase for you their conversation. So that I'm guessing they're alone or they're off maybe walking. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Probably catches Peter off a little bit. Yes, Lord, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Okay, I want you to do something for me. I want you to feed my lambs. It's kind of a weird request, but okay, I, I, I can do that. <laughs> they, they go along a little, bit long, a little bit further, and Jesus asks another question. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Now, how many of you like to be asked questions twice? The same question. No. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I do. Okay. I want you to do something else. I want you to take care of my sheep. Okay. If that's what you want. They go a little bit further. Third time now. Jesus comes to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? I can just imagine Peter there. 
Jesus, come on. Three times? Really? You know. You know everything. You know that I love you. He's broken. You know that I love you, Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Three times. Can you, can you imagine that? He has to be broken by this point. Why would Jesus ask me three times if I love him? How many times have you done that? How many times has Jesus asked you if you love him and you've questioned him? Jesus, you know that I love you. Or on the flip side, how many times have you questioned whether he loves you back? If Jesus didn't care for Peter, he wouldn't be having this conversation. If Jesus doesn't care for you and I, we wouldn't have these conversations with him. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants to renew that relationship with us. At this point, Jesus prophesies what would happen to Peter, how he would die. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, by the way, Peter, uh, this is what's going to happen to you for me. Because of me. And then Jesus simply says two words. Follow me. That's it. Follow me. Three times Jesus is denied by Peter. Three times he asks Peter, do you love me? In my mind and in others, I'm sure, it's kind of an act of restoration here for Peter. Jesus was helping Peter to be able to go the distance. Jesus knew what lay ahead for Peter better than Peter did. Did you know that when Jesus told Peter how he was going to die, he didn't question him? <laughs> At least not that we're told. Maybe he finally learned his lesson that, hey, I need to just be quiet here and listen. Jesus knew what Peter was going to experience the rest of his life that Peter would need to know beyond any doubt that his relationship with Jesus was fully restored. He messed up. He messed up royally. But Jesus brought him back. There was nothing that Peter could do that could prevent him from coming back to God. There was nothing that any of us could ever do that could prevent us from coming back to God. Please see that. Please understand that. The writer of Proverbs wrote this, Proverbs 24, 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. 
they will get up again. God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. He said this, Jeremiah 8, 4. Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Each one of us is going to falter at times in our relationship with Christ. We just are. We're, we're not perfect. We're very imperfect. But when we do, we need to get back up and continue on the journey that God has called us to. Knowing that he will be there to help us along the way. Derek Redmond trained for years to run in the Olympics. Out of the blue, he's injured. Can't finish the race, or can he? No one could have foreseen what was going to happen to him that day. That he would be injured. And his chances of winning any kind of medal are gone. There will be times when we will be running our race and something will happen that will lead to us to falter. Life happens. We may fall flat on our face, but when that happens, just like Derek, we have to get back up. 
We have to get back up. We may be injured still. We may, we may limp along for a little bit. But just like his dad came out of the stands to help him finish, your heavenly father is right there waiting to help you finish as well. Derek didn't know that was going to happen. He had no idea that his dad would do that, that they would even allow his dad on the, on the racetrack. He didn't know that. But he was determined to finish the race, even being injured. May we have that same determination to go the distance with God. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what leads to us to falter. We can't give in to it. We have to get back up. Knowing that our Heavenly Father is right there, ready to pick us up, to carry us if we need to. If you need Him to carry you, He is there to carry you. I would like the musicians to come up at this time, please. We know that God is watching us. I hope you know that. But we also need to know that at any moment, when we need him the most, he will be right there for us. Helping us to go the distance with him. You please bow your heads at this moment. Just, just close your eyes. Just, just concentrate on God right now, if you would. Concentrate on God. You may be going strong with God right now, and if you are, great. I encourage you, keep going. Keep going. But maybe you're here today and maybe you faltered. Maybe you've failed. Maybe you've sinned. Something has happened. Life has happened. And you're feeling weak. You're feeling injured this morning. I want to encourage you as well that you don't have to remain there. God is here right now to lift you up, to take you in his arms, and help you to go the distance. He wants you to go the distance with him. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray a prayer the closing prayer. I'm not going to pray another one. When I'm done, we're going to start singing this song that we sang earlier. And I'm going to encourage you that if you want to come forward and pray, I encourage you to do that. Maybe just you're coming forward just to say, thank you, God, for helping me to go the distance. Thank you, God, for giving me the strength. Continue to help me to have the strength and the courage to go the distance with you.
Maybe you're here this morning and you faltered and you realize that you know it, but you, you realize now that this is not the end. This is, this is just, a, it's just a misstep. And that God is here right now to help you, to bring you back up, to help you keep going on this journey. And maybe God's saying something completely, totally, totally different to you. I don't know. But I'm praying and believing that God is speaking to every person here right now about something in their life. And I'll pray, I pray that you will answer that, that you will speak to him and hear his voice. Like I said, I'm gonna pray, and then when I'm done, they're gonna sleep, they're gonna lead us in this song. And I encourage you to find a place to pray. If you need to leave, you can be dismissed. Lord, we're so grateful that you love us even though we falter, even though we fail, even though we sin, you still love us and you, re you want to restore us. I'm grateful that you give us the strength and the courage to go the distance with you. God, I pray if there are those who are here this morning that they're struggling, whatever it may be, Whatever it may be, I pray, Lord, that they would realize that you are here right now and you want to lift them up and help them go the distance with you. Go with us, I pray, as we leave this place. Give us strength, give us courage, Lord, to be who you've called us to be. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Poverty loses its grip, and race can